0: In our search for meaning and purpose, where do we find our value? In our work? In our things? In our pleasure? Join us on Sundays as we learn from our current series, Chasing the Wind, a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, good morning, Ben. Can we, I don't know about you guys, I needed that this morning. Can we just give the worship team and our, our God a round of applause? Have you ever found yourself in a lone or bad situation, maybe flat tire side of the road, maybe in a dark alley all alone on the wrong time of the night kind of thing? You ever found yourself in a bad spot? How many of us have been there at some point, right? Um, How would that have situation gone differently for you if you weren't alone? How would that have situation gone differently for you if you had a friend your spouse, your, 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 your brothers, your sisters, somebody close to you. How different would that situation have been had you had somebody with you? This morning, we're continuing our series on the study of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're finding out what chapter 4 has to say about the importance of doing life together in community. It doesn't strike me as odd that we had an unexpected four inches of snow on Sunday morning, the day we're supposed to talk about the importance of being in community with each other. So whether you're joining us at home online, I hope you're shoveled out, we miss you here. We'd love to see you here next Sunday, please join us. Uh, But for those of you guys that made it in, thank you for making my heart full and braving the clear roads and being here with us this morning. One of my least favorite stories from my time in the military was in 2007. I was on a deployment, I was gonna be deployed to Pakistan through some sort of weird Situational administrative issue, my travel documents were not in order. So my platoon, my SEAL team, had to leave ahead of me. And as the lone medical representative, it was important that I got there, but obviously not as important that I leave with my team. So I spent the next two days getting my travel documents in order, and this, that, and the other thing. And finally, I was able to get on the road. But it was this really, really arduous journey. So number one, as the senior medical department representative, it was my responsibility to carry the box of narcotics. Fentanyl, morphine, all the high-value, super-pilferable the stuff that people like to take in and use on their side journeys and stuff like that. I had to have it in this cool little black pelican case with a big, huge silver padlock on it. Big, you know, nothing, nothing inconspicuous about that, right? My journey took me from Norfolk to Reagan in, in D.C. From Reagan, I had to drive to Dulles, which if you've ever done that before, you know how miserable that is. From Dulles, it took me to Heathrow, and at Heathrow, I realized they told me, sorry, son, your backpack and your narcotics box can't go on the plane. You're only allowed one carry-on item. I really wanted to check the box of narcotics. I really did. (laughs) Problem is, I couldn't. It was my responsibility to make sure that these things got there safely. So I checked in my backpack. You know, took my toothbrush out, took my roll pillow out, took my book out, fit it in the little box, and I'm like, okay, cool. Make it from Heathrow to Doha Cutter. Doha, Qatar is this small, little island country in the Persian Gulf. Uh, It is an Islamic nation, and they are dry, meaning there's no alcohol. There's limited internet activity, and I promise you, the box of narcotics I was carrying with me was not welcome. I almost didn't make it through customs. I had to get pulled aside, it was very, very awkward. You know, I was going on deployment to Pakistan, so like, they told me to grow a beard. That's where you guys laugh, because you guys know I can't grow a beard. Especially now that I am recovering from cancer. Like, there's no such thing as a beard happening for this guy. They told me to grow a beard and grow my hair out long. Problem is, if you grow up in America, if you eat like an American, you look like an American. There's no place in the world you can't go where people say, you were well fed and well taken care of. So, I'm in Doha, Qatar. I am the only American in the airport for three years hours with this big black box and a big silver lock on it that says, ooh, what's inside? I paced the airport indefinitely looking for a corner to hide, and I couldn't. I even called my wife. I'm like, hey, (laughs) just chilling out in Doha, Qatar. Nothing going on here. My team was so far ahead of me, it was just a lonely, lonely, miserable place. Maybe your situation wasn't like that. Maybe it was something as fortunate as a flat tire on the side of the road. I would have loved to trade places with you. The challenge with that situation, in any situation like it, is that we are alone. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read through the biblical narrative, God is always creating us to be in community. You read through Genesis 1. God creates, he observes, and then what does he say about it? He says, That's good. Separates the heavens from the the earth and the water from the skies and the land and the animals. And he steps back and he says, that's good. And then he gets to his pinnacle creative genius. He creates man. And he steps back and he puts man in the Garden of Eden. And everything's looking great and it's beautiful and it's lush. And he goes, hmm. Genesis 2.18, it says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. See, it wasn't enough for us to be in community with God by ourselves. There was a missing component. There was a missing component. And so God made him a helper. He made Eve. And they were together and they were in perfect harmony, all three of them walking through the Garden of Eden. Life was good. We were not designed to be living life alone, folks. I know you introverts, I have one at home. I know you introverts might disagree with me on this. And I respect your disagreeing opinion. You're wrong. Um, God created us to be in community. God created us to be in community. Community with him first, with each other second. And that to me, ladies and gentlemen, that is why what we are doing right here is so important. Those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, you can, there's nothing I'm going to read for you this morning that you probably haven't read before. But it's different because you're in community. Community. For those of you who have been walking with Christ for a really, really long time, there's probably nothing that you're going to hear, a song that you're not going to sing, that you haven't done at home, but there's probably someone who hasn't been walking with Christ for a really long time, who's sitting close to you, who needs your influence, who needs your shoulders to rub with their shoulders, who needs your story to speak into their lives. That's why we do this on Sunday morning, folks. This is so important. Community is so important, and that's what we're going to talk about today In the garden, we had perfect community. We messed it up, though. Not going to lie, we messed it up. It all went south when Satan was able to do the one thing that Satan does best. Get us alone. When When Satan is able to separate you from community, he is winning the war. He may not attack right then, but he will get you. Like a lion waiting for that one antelope or that one gazelle to fall behind, he will get you. He might let you climb the ladder of success really, really high. He might give you everything that your heart desires or allow you to get those things. But I promise you, he will swipe that ladder out from underneath your legs before you're looking because you're alone. I mean, but that's what we do as a humanity, though, isn't it? When you do bad things, what do we do? When our kids do bad things, we have a a new dog at home, an 18-week-old dog. She's an American Bulldog. She's beautiful. She's very challenging. <laughs> She's very challenging. When she does something wrong, what do we do? We set her aside. Where's my teachers at? There's some teachers in this room, right? When your, te- when your student does something wrong, you set them aside, right? When your children, for the parents in the room, you, said, you know, for the, we were all kids once at one point, think, think about that, our kids, our parents probably set us aside at some point, right? What do we do in society if you're really, really heinous? Like, if you're super, super bad, what do we do? We send you to jail. And if jail doesn't shake you free, we send you to state prison. And if state prison ain't bad enough, then maybe we can create this thing called ADSEC where we can separate you for 23 hours a day alone in a cell by yourself, no human contact. They don't even touch you when they bring you the tray of food. They slide it through a hole in the door. The worst thing that we can do as a people is to segregate people from another, to separate them. That's why things like racism and ethnicism and and the economic diversity is so bad sometimes because we separate people into the other when God created us for community. And that's what's beautiful about church because every socioeconomic ethnic group is represented in church on Sunday morning, or at least it should be. Martin Luther King once said that the most segregated place on a Sunday morning was the church at 10 a.m. Hopefully, we're working our way back from that. The worst thing that we can do, though, is to kick people out, to excommunicate people, to send them to jail, to send them to places really, really far, far away. It's the one thing we can do to wreck somebody's psyche. And as a culture, no thanks to COVID, I'm sure, we've become more isolated than ever, whether it's polarized because of our faith, polarized because of our politics, polarized because of our opinions about whether to get the jab, whether or not to get the jab, Please check all that stuff at the door, by the way, because we're here to worship God together, amen? In a Harvard study titled Loneliness in America, check this out, they found that 36% of adults reported serious loneliness, meaning they felt lonely frequently, almost all the time or all the time, In four weeks prior to this survey. This survey was conducted in October of last year. This included 61%. I'm speaking to crew. Where's my crew kids at? 61% of young adults aged 18 to 25 felt seriously isolated. Especially, where's my mom's at? 51% of mothers with young children feel isolated and alone. The numbers get worse than that. It's not the most devastating thing in my opinion. 43% of young adults, crew I'm looking at you, report increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. About half of the lonely young adults surveyed reported, get this, not one person took the time to seriously, genuinely ask them how their day was in a way that made them feel cared for. Is that real? You guys feel that? It's okay if you say yes or no, I'll be honest. I know that my, uh, my 19-year-old daughter feels that up in college, up in Johnson & Wales. She feels that. It's real for her. If somebody had just taken a few minutes to ask how they felt in a way that made them cared, how would that day change for them? People, we have to. we. We must do better. God's deepest desire is to be in community with us. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, or if you're following along at home, it'll be on the screen for you. Ecclesiastes chapter four. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter four. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's read this together. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Ouch. Let's think about that for a second. It's better to not even be born than to see the evil that is done under the sun. I don't know about you guys, I've seen some pretty heinous and horrendous things in my lifetime. But it is still better that I am alive with my wife, with my kids, with my family, with my community here. I was excited when I woke up this morning. Not because there was four inches of snow that actually kind of slowed me down and frustrated me. Because I was really looking forward to being here. To being with you. To singing worship songs together. That I could have sung in the car by myself. But it wouldn't have affected and changed my heart the way that being in community this morning Ecclesiastes, it's a collection of Solomon's wisdom teaching. It's a collection of his life experiences. The first thing that he says in that, uh, there's a phrase that he says in that, uh, that passage that I, I talked about when I first preached on Ecclesiastes. It's the phrase under the sun. If you can highlight just three words, under the sun. Under the sun gives us the parameters of where, uh, where Solomon was trying to look for meaning in life. And it's the wrong place. If we look for the meaning for life, if we look for meaning, purpose, and, 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 and enjoy under the sun, we are going to be left empty-handed. We're going to be left wanting to know where the rest of our coffee is or where the rest of our tea is or why the bowl of cereal doesn't have more cereal in it at the end. Okay? I mean, the, the, if we're looking for life's purpose under the sun, it all goes away because it's under the sun. God is eternal. Heavens are eternal. Life with him is eternal. Moses, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Solomon sees the oppressed people. He was oppressing with his own law (laughs) to build his own temples, to build his own riches. He was oppressing them, and he saw them, and they had no no peace, no comfort, no comforter. I mean, reading through this passage, I don't know about you guys, but reading through this passage says, man, maybe maybe Solomon was the original nihilist before Nietzsche. Maybe he's like, hey, this is cool, let's check this out, but it's not. It's so empty. The truth is that life is better together and it's awful alone. Life is better together and it's awful alone. Let's keep reading in Ecclesiastes 4. It writes, And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands, and ruin themselves. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither brother nor son, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable Business. What keeps us isolated? What keeps you isolated? Well, if, if, if we go back and we look at the, the first couple of verses we just read there, envy. Envy is what keeps us uh, isolated, right? When we're comparing ourselves to others, we are isolated. Comparison is the thief of joy. When we assess how we're doing in life, and we realize that we're comparing ourselves to somebody else's success, we don't know what brought them that success. We don't know what they sacrificed to make that success happen. We don't know if they got up at 4 a.m. in the morning and they stay up until 10, 11 o'clock at night. We don't know if they sacrificed their family on the altar of work so they could have all those things for that, you know, hang on, Instagram moment, selfie. Right? If your contentment is based on being better than somebody else, having better grades, having a better house, having a better car, having better clothing, having a better closet, having a better music studio, if that is where your contentment lie, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to be empty handed. It will never be enough. The second thing that keeps us isolated its laziness. It's laziness. When, when in, in the passage it said, you know, fools fold their hands. That's an old colloquialism for laziness. Instead of putting your hand to the plow or putting your hand to the soil or to the shovel, oh, I'm just going to fold my hands and put them in my pocket. I ain't doing a darn thing today. It's that lazy song by Bruno Mars. You know, I ain't doing nothing today. Fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves the essence of laziness is selfishness let's get down to it the brutal point right how many of us have not wanted to go to work yet we go to work how many of us have not wanted to write that paper but we write that paper how many of us have done the dishes in the sink because you needed something to eat on right take out the trash even though you don't want to take out the trash if you don't do those things what happens Bad things happen, right? You, you, know, you know, house smells, nobody wants to come over and hang out with you, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing, nothing to eat on. You know, you, you, you get grounded because your friends can't come over because you didn't do the paper or finish the schoolwork on time, whatever. I mean, that's laziness. What's the consequence of laziness? Ruin. What's the other thing that keeps us lazy? Greed, or keeps us in isolation. Greed. Greed keeps us in isolation, just like I said earlier. If you're sacrificing your family, your friends, your dreams on the altar of whatever is right in front of you right now, I mean, you could want something so bad, and maybe you're lucky enough to get it, but at what cost? Random baseball trivia questions. Any baseball fans in the house right now? A couple? Who is the greatest hitter to ever live? No, not Ted Williams. Good call, though. Anybody else? Greatest hitter to ever, ever live? Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb. He had a wife. He had kids. He spent so much time perfecting his stroke at baseball that when he passed away, you guys want to take a guess how many people showed up to his funeral? Three. Not even enough people to carry out the casket. Is what you're chasing worth that? Is what you want worth that? To have nobody show up to remember you? I mean, it's great your kid goes to a private school. It's great that you've got that nice BMW. But I promise you, my son would rather have me home and go to a mediocre school and drive a beat-up car than to have me gone 18 hours a day chasing fool's gold. Is it really worth it? going to that, no offense kids, going to that big name college. My daughter's going to a big name college. (laughs) Kind of of guilty as charged. Scholarships, granddad's trust. (laughs) I mean, is it worth it though? Like, is it worth it to have that piece of paper that says you went to that awesome college for four years when you could have got two of it done at the community college for a quarter of the price? And lived at home on mom and dad's dime for the cheap? Is it worth it? For all of his wisdom and all of his riches and all of his success, Solomon has realized that not only is life under the sun incredibly difficult, it's even worse if you're trying to do it alone. That's where chasing after the wind wind comes from. You can't catch it, you can't hold it, you can't bottle it. To try to chase it is foolhardy. If you're alone by choice or by design, I wanna ask you, I wanna beg you I'm glad you're here listening to this today. Thank you, Lord, for having that person show up today. Amen. But if you're doing this, if you know people who are doing this, man, just do whatever you can to have a cup of coffee with them, to spend time, community with them, to bring them back from the brink, to speak love, light, and truth into them. And so what is the cure for isolation? Community, friends, Having friends with us, right? So in Ecclesiastes, uh, in verse 9, we're going to pick this up. It says this. You may have heard this at a wedding once upon a time. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. But pity, I hear Mr. T in this, but pity the fool. Anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lay down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what are the benefits of having friends? Where's my business owners? Where's my managers and work supervisors? Are you able to make your company work by yourself? No, it takes a team. You know, the first book I read about church planting was called Church is a Team Sport. And they weren't talking about the pastors being on the same team. They're talking about the congregation being on the same team. Church is a team sport. Everything is a team sport. Why is it a team sport? Because you can be more productive. You can divide the labor. Like Chris and I, you know, used to work out every morning before cancer and, you know, we'll get back to that eventually at some point. We're getting there, it's really cool. But if, if Chris tried to lift 185 pounds by himself, that's great, he could probably do it. But if he tried to lift 225, he probably could do it, but it'd be really, really hard. But if he got two people under the bar, you, th- you would think two people under the bar for 225, you're like, oh, that's 450. No, this crazy thing happens. Not just productivity, but synergy happens because now you've got two people working for the same goal together and they're working at the same speed and the same strength and suddenly, what do you know? 700 pounds is able to be lifted because you've got two people working together towards the same end. Church, community, brothers, sisters, we're working towards the same end the enjoyment and fulfillment of Christ, to become fully devoted disciples of Christ, to become more integrated in our story, to become more reflective of God's light, to become more joyful, to be more encouraged, to become more whole. You could probably do that with, with, with yourself at home, but how empty and unfulfilling is it? You know, I know COVID's done this dastardly thing in separating us and making us stay home. I couldn't wait to get back to church together. Where else do I get to see people that I would never see from different walks of life, from different socioeconomic backgrounds that I never get to hang out with? You know, not many people like 80s hair metal and lifting 400 pounds. But because we have this crazy thing called faith in common, we get to hang out together. I get to build bridges. Like, I would never met, you know, Matt Utesh, who's like the track coach, you know? I would have never met Jesse and had great conversations about faith and, and relational intimacy people that, that are really cool to me, but I never get to interact with because if I never come to church, I never see them. What's the other thing that having friends can do for us? Comfort and strength. In verses 11 and 12, it says, when one, when one lays down, when two lay down together, you can keep warm. Have you ever gotten into a cold bed? You ever gone camping and had the tent to yourself? Man, you're thankful for that second extra person's body heat in there, even if they have bad gas. Because you're warm. You're warm. If you're ever, I mean, if you've ever been out and it's a cold night, you know. Usually when I, can't, when I hike, I, I, I travel, I don't do a tent. I just do a hammock. And I'm going to tell you, it's comfortable, but it's also really cold at night because it's just me. I've got to have some insulation in there. I need, I need to have somebody hanging out with me. You know, like I said, I, I feel like I've heard this passage at every wedding I've ever been to, and there's a good reason for it. There really, really is a good reason for it. This passage is found in every wedding because God intended the covenant of marriage to be the closest reflection of godly community and intimacy. The covenant of marriage is the only place where we see two become one and the whole, reflect, the whole of God's love reflected in one covenant. Marriage is this complementary balance between a man and a woman where each fills the gaps of the other's needs. My wife and I separate, probably two difficult pains in the butts that are obnoxious and annoying and stubborn. But when we're working together, something crazy beautiful happens. There's a give, there's a take. You know, I'm the free spirit with the money, she's the, uh, the tight fist with the money, and suddenly we have money in our savings account for when cancer shows up and we have to pay the bills. It's pretty cool, right? <laughs> you know, kidding aside, you know, if, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. Something that I learned when I was in the military. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs. When he sent the 72 and when he sent the 12, he sent them out in pairs, together. Why? Warmth, strength, solidarity, productivity, synergy. So, what's my all-inclusive prescription For community, if you're not in a Riverbend small group, this is my shameless plug to invite you to become part of one right now. And we have lots of different groups across the valley, lots of different kinds of groups, lots of different groups that meet in different ways. Some folks discuss a book. Some folks are doing a biblical study through Mark. Some folks just get together and break bread. But this is really important to us as a church community to be known, to be encouraged, and to be sent Community groups exist for this purpose, to be known amongst the community of believers, to be encouraged in the reality of God's gospel, and to be sent to live in alignment with God's purpose. If you're not in a community group, like, I really can't any more shamelessly ask you to go join one now. Um, And that's not because I lead one. Mine is on a Zoom, so unfortunately, we don't get to have this great community as, as maybe some of the other groups, but that's by design for now. Our youth group, Meets on Sunday nights, not today because apparently Sunday's like a Super Bowl something or other. There's like some sort of party happening this afternoon, some, some, something about guys chasing a ball, I don't know. Um, but Super Bowl gives us an excuse to do the very same thing, to gather in community. How many folks are going to watch the game tonight? How many folks are going to watch the game with other people tonight? Right? That's important. Even if you argue about the score, you don't like the colors of the jerseys, you don't like the teams, you don't like the people, the commercials, you've already seen them already anyway. I heard the halftime show is going to be great though, by the way. Um, (laughs) But you do this together. I mean, where's, where's my real estate agents at? There's a couple real estate agents in the house. Where do people gather? In the kitchen. Why? because it's not just the food place, but it's where everybody can gather and get get a drink and be social and interact. These things are important. They're important to us as a culture. Community groups sometimes gather in kitchens, sometimes they gather in living rooms, sometimes they gather over a Zoom call, but they gather consistently. See, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And once he's convinced you that he doesn't exist, he starts to whisper little lies into you that, that spending time with others is not a worthwhile endeavor. That developing your soft skills, having interactions with other people is not worth your time. If you want to just sit around and play Call of Duty all day long and call it a day, you can. But if you turn off the console and you realize that you're still feeling empty in this, this, this gap inside, it's because you were built for community. You're built to be together. Let's wrap up this passage in Ecclesiastes in verse uh, 13 through 16. It says, "Better Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Youth may have come from prison to the kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw all who lived and walked under the sun followed youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor because this, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. How many of us have longed to be Luke Skywalker? You want to be, be the person, right? Or, you know, you want to be the central character in your story. You want to be the leader, the hero. You know, I, honest confession. I think one of the reasons why I, I, I left being in ministry full-time is because my alignment was wrong. I thought I had to be the hero. I thought everything rested on my shoulders. And I had this great team of people around me, people who love me, people who come to Riverbend and are part of our community here. And they tried, but I was stubborn. I thought I had to do it all by myself. Leadership is the loneliest place in the world. It's the loneliest place. Don't let anybody lie to you. Leaders need community too. And even though I had community I was too broken and too wounded to take advantage of it. Too prideful to say I'm so broken that I can't go forward until it was too late. Leaders are, and politicians make miserable saviors. They really, really do. If your hope is in the person who's preaching on Sunday morning, leading worship on Sunday morning, or sitting in the White House, I'm here to tell you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Nobody is gonna let you down more than the people who lead you. Parents, best leadership thing I ever learned. As soon as you accept the fact that you are going to break and fail your children, you're free to become a better parent. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, they don't want you to be perfect. In fact, some of the best stories of my child's life with me are my failures. You know, that time I screamed, oh, fart. (laughs) And it wasn't fart. You know, it's a laughing point because it it shows I'm human. But I will tell you where the loneliest place in the world is. It was on a Friday night on a hill where there were three crosses. And our man named Jesus hung on the middle one. That was the loneliest place in all of history because he hung there for you and for me so that we don't have to be alone. God the Father couldn't look at God the Son for the first time in God the Son's life in existence. He was absent the Father and it hurt him in ways that we will never fully understand. So that we could receive the full grace of God the Father through Christ the Son. The loneliest place in all of history was Christ being crucified for us and yet he did it. He knew that's what the cost was going to be and he did it anyway because community is that important. God used that moment to save us. To invite you in. Say, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care how ugly the sin is. If you will put your trust in me if you'll put your hope and your faith in me, we will be through it all together and we will have community. So let's flap this up. Let's land this plane. God created us for community. We were created for it, to be in community with him and with each other. That that story in Pakistan I started out with this morning, I didn't finally feel safe until I arrived in Pakistan on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m., And they expedited me through customs, and then they had like two troop carriers and a consulate vehicle for little old me, the medic, and they whisked me away across town till I got to the base where we were going to be training at, and then I saw my master chief and my team, and I fell on the ground on my knees, and I said, thank God I'm safe, because I had my team with me again. We were created for community. There is no lonelier place than on the cross. The next loneliest place is when you are separated from, Jesus, or separated from God and Satan is looking for you and he's going to break you. Don't be there. Envy, selfishness, and greed are the things that isolate us. Evaluate your motives, ladies and gentlemen. Evaluate your purpose. If you have an idea or an area of your life that you haven't let others into, you are inviting Satan into that area and you don't even know it. If you have an area in your life that you are not inviting relational community into, that you're not inviting Jesus into, Satan is waiting to pick you off like a wounded hyena. I promise you that. Life is better lived in, encouraged, in community. We want you to be known, encouraged, and sent. We want you to be in a community group. We are more productive when we are together. We are more transparent when we are together. When we are together, we are a force multiplier. When we pray together, it is a force multiplier. When we worship together, it is a force multiplier. Being in community gives us comfort and strength. And God paid a crazy price to defeat Satan and to save you. But while you're on earth, you're in this weird, strange middle ground. And while you're a sojourner, while you're traveling through this place, you weren't meant to do it alone, you're meant to do it in community. So don't believe the lie that Satan doesn't exist. Instead, be aware, find a friend, and walk the road together. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you. We do. We ask that the words that were spoken here today were not just rambling mush, but instead words that speak to our hearts, speak to our souls, that draw us close to you, that awaken and stir something in our hearts to be in community with you. Lord, we ask that, that as we're here together today, that you're moving in a supernatural way, that you are building bonds, that you are building strength amongst us. Lord, use this time to build your kingdom. Walk into our paper houses and cut apart the stuff that doesn't belong and fill us with your spirit. We praise you in the powerful name of Jesus and I invite everybody to say amen.